I read something very interesting that FTX as a, you know, $30 billion company only has um, like 200 employees or something like that. And I believe you, the, you know, for the first year, the product was built by just two engineers. And even now you only have sub 20, sub 30 engineers. A, is that true? And B, what the hell is going on? Like, do you, is FTX, he, he's like, either, he's like, I can only think of one of two things. Either FTX is simply like, you have a unique set of problems. So you could do, you can operate your business differently or the rest of us are doing this completely wrong. Which is it? And, um, and he goes, the latter. What up, birthday boy? Thank you. What's going How's on? How's it going? Uh, it's going okay. I um, you didn't I pick up my a little bit. Of... I was gonna sing to you. You Facetimed me. I Facetimed you earlier. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even get the notification. I was. Uh, I no, had no, personalized. But uh, you did miss out on what would have been a good serenade. Actually, can I tell you a funny story about that? I Wait, was, was your kids there? Party? No, it was just me and Ben. Um, and we're oh man, a what a bummer! I'd rather see your kids though. I've got baby fever. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, my, actually, my son was there, but you know, before the yeah, age I'm of sorry. like two, they're kind of just like an inanimate object that you just carry around. So actually, I was, was uh, I was working out, and when I work out, I put my phone on like focus mode or whatever. So I'm sorry, but thank right. you. Swole mode. So, um, yeah, swole mode. how old are you now? Thirty-three. 33. Okay. You're getting up there too. All right. I like it. Uh, so you're, I think a year younger than me. We, um, I was at a birthday party, uh, like two weekends ago, uh, I had to leave the house. It was crazy. And, um, we get there and this guy did this thing that I saw and I was like, Oh, what an amazing little life hack. He basically had, so it's like some kid's birthday party. They sing happy birthday. It's time to blow out the candles and cut the cake. And the guy grabs the mic and he's like, hold on, hold on. We got a special birthday song for you. And this guy, apparently, because my wife knows him, she's, she's like, oh, my God, he's doing it. He always does this. And it's like he has his own version of happy birthday. That he sings, <laughs> but it's not like a singing thing. It's more like um, like he's Indian. So it's kind of got like an Indian vibe to it. But let's just pretend it's sort of like when I say happy, you say birthday, happy. And everyone else is like birthday, happy birthday. He's like, he's like, are always, um, I always love all those. Like, uh, of course, it's like, you know, there's something in my body that just I like, can't help but become like, you know, the, the 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 follow the leader during that moment. And he'll be like, you know, who's the birthday boy? Sam, Sam, Sam. Right. And it's like it'll make you feel good. And then um, and I was like, what a life hack to just be the life of the party is to simply have a cool version of happy birthday that you can do. Uh, that's amazing. That's like having a joke that just always kills. <laughs> so listen to this. I've got this friend named and, and Jonathan. We'll get we'll get to the Samir thing in a second. But I have this friend named Nick Ray. Uh, Sean, do you know who Nick Ray is? I know of him. I don't I know. I don't think I've ever met him, but I've seen his like uh, his like website and like you've told me about him. And uh, he looks like a, he's like an entrepreneur, but he kind of looks a little bit slick. I don't, I don't know who, who he is. So I, I call him grown up Dennis the Menace because he looks like uh, a 40 year old Dennis the Menace. Like if you think of like what Dennis the Menace would look like when he's 40, that's like Dick. He had a company called uh, he, he had one business that was like it worked it was in the aviation industry, sold it. Then he started this thing called Museum Hack, which was like you pay like twenty five dollars or something like that. Um, and it, you get a group museum tour, like a private museum tour, whatever. He sold it. And then he loves hosting parties so much that I believe he used scribed like you did 
and he wrote a book on how to host the perfect two hour evening party. And what? this guy, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll try to find the, the title. Have you read but it? I have a, it just came out like two days ago and he just sent me a copy. It's called the, uh, here, I'll find it. But it, uh, it's like, uh, it's like how to host the perfect cocktail party. And this guy, whenever he hosts parties, he brings name tags to all. Every time you're with him, he has a name tag, a kite, a Frisbee, and a blanket. I'm telling you, this guy is like a 12-year-old. That's why I call him <laughs> Grown Up Dennis the Menace. Because he just like, he's like, these are the best things to bring to like a park party. And uh, they just it just works. And so he brings this to like all of his parties. And it's hilarious. Like, I bring it, the rule book to the game Red Rover. And it's a great icebreaker to play the game Red Rover. It's been working since preschool. <laughs> and he brings like a harmonica. And when he goes, he'll like play the harmonica and he goes, all right, everyone come to the circle. And he like does these icebreakers. It's hilarious. So the book is called uh, The Two Hour Cocktail Party. And it's just a book on hosting a two hour cocktail party. He's been working on it for like two years. So I gave him a shout out. But I actually wasn't. I'm only bringing this up because we were talking about hosting the perfect party and everything. It's hilarious. And he's and it's like might actually become like a brand around host. It's like, you know, like Maria right. Kondo made like putting your clothes away into like a Martha Stewart style business. That's what this guy might be doing sure. for like a cocktail party. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Oh, wow. Okay, so I have three instant reactions to this. Number one. What a great idea. What a great idea so? because... When you first said it, I laughed, which to me already means this is kind of remarkable as a product, meaning you, you had to remark on it. It was worth telling. So that's already like a good thing. Second thing is it's actually a real problem. Like nobody teaches you how to do things in life that are life stuff. And so if you can hone in on a piece of life stuff, like, you know, the classic example is like, you know, the book, The Game, which is like, you know, about how to like pick up women. Like, how do you approach a stranger that you're interested in? And like, you know, can you get a date? And like, we all laugh and say, oh man, that's so, uh, you know, people will sort of point at it, be like, you know, the sort of a loser thing. Right. In reality, best-selling book. It was one of the best books I've ever read. Um, and like really yeah, helps sure. a I, lot of people who just like don't know how to navigate this social situation that they get put in. Yeah, I dude, I uh, think it's awesome. Yeah. So by the way, look at the link I sent you. I sent the link in Riverside and I didn't realize this, but look at the reviews. The, re <laughs> the reviews are all of our friends. So it's Nick Huber. It's Kat from Best Self. It's Ben, the guy who uh, <laughs> I think he started. Uh, what's that group on deck? Sarah and then is that, David. Is that your wife <laughs> is she on there? It says Sarah. She might, it might be her. She, yeah, it, it could be her. And then David Perel's on there. They're, they're all like the isn't that hilarious? They're all like their reviewers or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. So, it's it's a pretty pretty funny niche to own. So my first thought is. It's actually what a great idea helping people know how to host a party, just like fun in a box. It's like, look, you don't have to be creative. You don't have to have experience doing this. Like, I will help you know the like three or four things that will make you look awesome when you do this. I think that's kind of great. Second reaction. What a terrible idea. Why is this a book? Why is it this a Twitter thread? Like if there's ever a thing which is like this book could have been an email, 
Um, like this book could have been an email. I, I guarantee it. And so that's my second reaction to this. It's just like, love the idea of creating a brand and content on this topic. The book. Wow. Overkill. Like it's a, a book takes more than two hours to read. Uh, like, like the book shouldn't be longer than the full party Dude, would I, be in this case. I, I kind of agree with you, but I think you have to forget that most people don't have charisma. And although I think I definitely have like a little social anxiety. I think you do too. Like I don't like leaving my house that often and I don't want to like talk to like strangers that often, but like I could, like I can turn it on and be like, all right, fine. I'm in that mode. Uh, I think most people like all of our like nerdy ass friends, I just don't think they just like stand around. Like, what do I do with my hands? Like they don't know like where to hold their hands. They don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Actually, dude, I re- I still remember. So I've been to a bunch of like startup events. I was in this accelerator called the Mass Challenge back in the day. It's like a, a Boston-based like startup accelerator. I don't even know how I ended up there. And I've heard, I would say at this point in my life, I've heard at least 500 in-person t- like talks to entrepreneurs. Okay, 500. If you want to know what's the most memorable one. It was this guy, this old school guy who came. He was probably in his late 60s. And he's like, he did two things. The first one was he goes, all right, um, you guys are all entrepreneurs. Somebody stand up and pitch me your business. Tell me what your business does. And somebody would stand up. They'd be like, hey, we, uh, I'll, go, I'll go. Right. It's like a bravery contest. I'll go. A thousand hands go up because it's entrepreneurs. You got it. You got to be the one who's like courageous. So you, everybody raise their hand. Pick the first guy. I'm Sam. I hope, uh, you know, I'm CEO of The Hustle. We're a media company for millennials who love to learn about business. He, he just, no, you're not. Actually, I forgot the very first thing. The, the best part of the whole thing is he started the talk from the back of the room. And he was like, <laughs> he's like, All right, everybody. and everybody's looking at the stage. All the chairs face one way, right? And he's like, I'm back here. Entrepreneurship. You got to adjust. <laughs> that was the first. It's like, you know, a dog. Dodgeball, yeah, and he's yeah, like, dodge, you want to dodgeball? Dodge ball, the wrench. <laughs> so th- this guy was like that guy, and he's like, I'm in the back of the room. What are you gonna do? And he's like, uh, he's like, all of a sudden, you got to adjust. Turn your seat around. Are you stuck to what the ways that the, the society works? Or are you just gonna do what makes sense? And so that's how he started. Then he goes and he's like, pitch your business. And if if you just said like, I'm Sean, um, you know, we're the Milk Road. We, uh, you know, we we're a, uh, a, a Web three focused. Um, newsletter that does, bo- no, he would just cut you off, but he wouldn't tell you what you're doing wrong. And his process of elimination, everyone's just trying one thing. And then finally, some guy said it right. He goes, We're smart shade. Um, you know, when you're in a room and it's too bright through the window, we help you uh, make sure that you have a shade on there that doesn't make your room look ugly. And the guy was like, Yes, you, that's exactly right. You explained the situation and you use the keyword help. Your business exists to help someone do something. Help someone get some outcome, some benefit. He's like, all of you guys think you're entrepreneurs and you couldn't tell me who you're helping do what. And then we we're all like, oh, we're like reeling. And then he transitioned into, he goes, put up a diagram of a, of a, of a meeting room of a bunch of six chair table or like an eight chair table. He goes, biggest meeting of your life. Where do you sit? Hey, smart shade guy, where do you sit? And we're like, ah, I don't know. The chairs had numbers on them. And you're like, three? And he's like, no. And he's like, you sit in chair two. It's the corner of the table. So you're not the head of the table, but you're the corner of the table. You have like, you know, sort of like 80% of the yeah. visibility as the head of the table. But you now have both angles. You're kind of at the wide angle where people can see you and talk to you. And then he showed another diagram of like another a round table. Where do you sit in a round table? If this is the door, where do you go sit? 
Uh, then he's like, you have five minutes before the meet. Uh, your meeting is about to start in 10 minutes. Not everybody's there. You have 10 minutes to talk to the number two person. What do you say? And he was like giving these like real world social and business oh, wait, situations. Where, where do you like, sit you around? Uh, I don't even remember that one. It was like, you know, uh, you, you go to the other, you basically go like, I don't know. It's like, you don't have your back to the door. You kind of have a side facing uh, thing to the door. You don't want to be f- directly facing the door. Cause then you're like a little child sitting in your seat, waiting for the teacher to come right. in. Like, you know, you do that. And like in your small talk thing, he's like, do you talk about the weather and sports? No. Uh, he's like, you've done already eight hours of research on this person. You already know a, a B, C, D, E, and you are going to bring up this topic. And so this guy was like, so opinionated, so crazy, but I remember it because he was answering things that I felt like nobody had instructed me how to do. And it was the, where do I, what do I do with my hands while I talk problem? Which is like, I definitely run into these situations and I've received zero guidance in my life on what I'm supposed to do. And if you have like the solution in a box, I'll take it. That's interesting. Well, Nick's going to freaking love that because, uh, you know, like cocktails parties is such a niche thing, but I, I, he'll probably do well. He's pretty successful. Um, we, so we want to talk about Colin Samir, Jonathan. So Colin Samir, that episode went live on YouTube. Like, too. People probably Jonathan, don't even know who Jonathan is. John, so we have, it's Sean and me and Ben, typically. And Jonathan, most of the time, is actually on air. I actually don't know, Jonathan, why you're on air, like why you're here. But I know what you do as a job. You grow the podcast. But I don't know, like, why you actually need to be sitting here. Why, why do you sit here? Um, one, because this is fun. And two... This is the only time I can get like FaceTime with y'all to talk about these types of things. So it's like my only time I can actually carve out time on y'all's calendar. Our calendar. We are the issue. Yeah. I mean, come dude, on. I, he slacks us. He asks us to do stuff and we just never respond. <laughs> like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's like, you know, oh, why did you open the sushi restaurant? Because like, because I knew you love sushi and I just needed to get your approval on these three things. It's like, <laughs> damn, we're that much of an asshole. Sorry, sorry, Jonathan. I, I apologize that we are not very responsive in general. And so All he came bad. on and, and you said, you said, hey, talk about the Colin Smear thing because A, it was interesting. And what was the B? Um, I think there's just like some good takeaways that we should probably implement. Into um, our YouTube strategy? Real, YouTube and the podcast as well. Um, but first of all, I've hosted a Nick Gray party and it was awesome. And like, like you just described, Sean, like there's so much nuance to, you know, like hosting a good meeting and like where you sit and how the experience is for everyone else. And so you kind of do need a book to like piece all that together. Chapter one, here's the pre, you know, party stuff and all that. But yeah, email templates and all that stuff are kind of necessary and all that. Wait, wait, hold on. You, You said you hosted a Nick Gray party. What does that mean? You, you did his method or you attended a party? Dude, he's like famous in Austin. He, he did like a beta launch for his book. And so a few people, myself included, hosted one of like the beta parties. Wow. Wow. Whoa, that is, you're blowing my <laughs> mind right now. Hold on. So, 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 wow. Holy shit. Dude, so he's you, like famous in Austin. It's hilarious. Which, by the so way, we got to like, give him a proper shout out. So it's Nick Gray, G-R-A-Y. I believe his website is nickgray.net. So if you want to go and learn, but whatever, go ahead. 
Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing. If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. So you were like a pilot for this thing. First of all, how much of a friggin' early adopter are you that you like knew about <laughs> a book that's not even written yet and you were like, I'll be one of your test cases to test your, your party thing. Okay, wait, well, okay, give us the rundown. Give me like one or two of the golden nuggets that like you wouldn't otherwise have done at a party that Nick kind of like helped you try out. Yeah, well, so Nick, everyone just kind of knows Nick in Austin if if you're kind of running in the same circles. And so I went to another guy who hosted a Nick Gray party and I was like, this is awesome. And so I was, and I knew the guy, so I was like, let's co-host the next one. And we had it at my house. I got like a backyard and everything. Um, and so the takeaways like a, were- I went, I bought a house. Uh, I got ready for this party. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we got pizza and it was just, it reminded me of kind of like a prom party just to begin with. But the pieces that were, uh, kind of crucial are the one, like the icebreakers. So like you start the night with like, you know, everyone's getting their drinks and getting comfortable and stuff like that. And then you blow the harmonica or whatever you're like, you play, you strap the banjo or whatever it is, you strum the banjo and you get everyone's attention be like, Hey, we're doing icebreakers, say your name. And then like the fun fact would be like, what was the first thing you did for money? And so it's kind of gets people like, you know, to get a little bit deeper and then that can lead into the next conversation and so on and so forth. So there's like two or three of those throughout the night. And then, you know, it's just like the, the email before the email after and like how you nurture those people, I guess, and like actually, you know, connect them and all, all the little things like that. But I feel like there's like a bunch of little hacks, like, like emailing is part of this template. I didn't even, I, oh, I didn't yeah. even think about an email as part of the experience. Dude, he's got a whole shit oh, yeah. about it. And the funny thing about Nick is he's like, he's very flamboyant. Like he's like gregarious, but he's like loud. And a lot of people think that he's gay and he gets more girls than anyone I've ever met. And it's mostly because of this party, <laughs> this party stuff. He like, he like dates so many, like, well, I, I won't say that. I'll say girls love him. Women love this guy. And, uh, Dude, it's that's his next partially book. because it's called straight up gay. How to be a straight man <laughs> and, and, and use gay, you know, being gay to your advantage yeah. or whatever. His next social hack that he's got. He kills wow. it. Like when you, he kills it. This guy is very but interesting. That, that's another huge thing about this is like when you become the connector, when you're hosting these parties like once a month or once a quarter, like that's really valuable when you're able to like kind of be that person. They're like, oh, I'm going to reach out to Jonathan because he knows X, Y, and Z or whatever. So that's like kind of what you did in San Francisco, I feel like with the hustle meetups, right? Yeah, it, and yeah. it is a hack. It totally works. This and Sean is, did the same thing because we hosted like all of our events at his house, oh, like at yeah. his office. So he was like mm -hmm. by proxy was like the man. Dude, so yeah. I know we probably have other things to talk about, but I'm so mind blown by this and I just have so much more that I need to know. Okay, so uh, give me, okay, so give me something that is, you wouldn't um, expect it, right? Like let's say uh, maybe like, I don't know, Okay, like email kind of counts. The harmonica is a great example of this. Like have a little instrument that will help get people's attention and like, you know, just kind of like lightens the mood a little bit by just hearing I'll, this I'll, like, you know, great sound. Give me another me, one that I wouldn't one, expect. 
let me give one Jonathan. He hosted a party one time called a petting zoo party, and he hired like a mobile petting zoo for like four hundred dollars, or I don't even know what it was, but it wasn't like a big deal. And it like was the most fun at a party. I just sat around and petted like rabbits and like guinea pigs, and it was awesome. So he like does themes, like then he'll have a dinosaur theme where you wear like dinosaur themed clothing, which I don't know what that means, but. What else, Jonathan? What else does he do? Again, I've only been to like one or two, but it's if it's not that like you really don't need to put a theme around it if you're just doing something super simple like I did. But like you want to make it a little more memorable. Like, yeah, I feel like he's done like uh, he just did a paddleboard thing where like everyone went out to to Lake Austin and were on their paddleboards and like did a whole thing there. And he had a thing where he gave numbers. He gave a whiteboards to three different people, and he says, "We're having a diving contest. So the best, the person who does the best cannonball off of their paddleboard, and he he goes, the contestants are, and he had already planned. He goes, they're this person, this person, and this person. You guys get up front and do your cannonball, and we're all gonna. And these three judges are gonna give you a review. The second or third thing that he does is he has a very specific end time to the party. So he goes, come on over. The party's gonna end at eight o'clock, and at eight o'clock he goes." All right, everyone. Thank you for coming. The party's over. You don't got to get a, you don't got to go home, but you got to get out of here. And he's like, parties need an end. Otherwise, they drag on for too long. and People don't want to go anymore. And so he always right, has an right. ending to his parties, which is actually pretty great because wow. I go because I'm like, I don't got to sneak out like it's going to end at a very particular time. Well, so two hour cocktail party. Dude, we uh, OK. I don't know if we're Oprah, but I feel like we just sold the shit out of this book. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, th- this this guy is going to get a lot of sales from this uh, from this this plug because this was incredible. But. Honestly, I'm genuinely interested in this topic. Uh, you know, I had heard something once like um, Charity Water is kind of known for their events and they raise a ton of money for charity. And like most charity events are kind of the same old stale, like dinner gala. You sort of go, it's sort of a drag and Charity Water's events. You feel like you're, you know, you feel like you're at some like Hollywood party, basically. And it's not because they spend more money. It's like they're just more creative with like the way that they they like create memorable things. And so. And every year they top themselves, which is like this impossible standard. It's like last year, the Super Bowl halftime show was this. This year's got to be even bigger. That's how they treat their annual events. And they raise like, I don't know, $75 million in a night doing that. And that funds clean water for a lot of people. And I remember asking Scott, I go, well, so what's like, how do you think about these events? Like, how do you, everybody always raves about these. I've never been to one. What is the secret sauce? Like, well, how do you guys think about this? And he goes, oh, that's my wife, uh, Victoria. That's, that's her her thing he goes she has this phrase which is um it's about the moments in between the moments like it's the moments between the moments that matter and so it's like everybody thinks of when they plan their event okay for dinner we're gonna do this and then for the dancing we're gonna do this but they don't think about the like 20 minute period right before dinner when it's like getting set up or served and like the the five minute walk between this place to this place or whatever and if you do something there people feel like Wow, I'm having a like a 10 out of 10 experience like because what? they thought of everything like they thought of like I know for Charity Water, it was like they really thought about like the walk between um, like where the cocktail hour was and the dinner. And they were like, OK, yeah, you could just like traverse through this like, you know, hallway. But like, what can we do in the hallway that will like send the message? And they basically created like, I don't know, like a visual light show of like, I don't know a woman in Africa, a real woman, she starts when you start and she's carrying these like 60 pound gallons of water. And there's one on the, you see her carrying it. And then 15 steps in, there's one sitting on the ground that you could pick up and you could try carrying. And then by the end of it, you've had like, it's like, dang, that was heavy. And that was hard. And I only walked 54 steps. She does that for three hours a day just to get clean water for her family. 
And you're like, are you likely to donate by the end of that? Yeah. Right. It's like, but they just use the hallway as this, uh, by the way, I made up this exact example because I didn't go to the event, but like, that was, was a really good example. example. Was like, I, that was great. <laughs> yeah. I had to put the disclaimer. Cause I was like, damn, I just made up a really vivid ass lie about what they did at their event. And like Scott's big on integrity. So let me be clear. That's not exactly what happened. That's what I kind of remember from him telling me while we were drunk six years ago. And he was telling me like what he did. Um, so, so yeah, but at the moments between the moments, it's just a good, uh, like phrase to remember when you're going to host an event. I might write my own book. Fuck you, Nick Gray. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's talk about Colin and Samir. So these, these guys came on, they're like these YouTube, I don't exactly know how you describe them, but they're popular on YouTube and, uh, people seem to like it in the comments. You know, my takeaway was. Sean, do you think being a YouTuber is a good life or not? I can't decide, actually. I think it's a good life the way they did it. So the, the daily vlogger style, I think, is a, is a tough one. And I think the uh, like gaming streamer who's going to sit in their chair and play video games for seven hours a day every day is not a good, not, not a good path. Nor is the Mr. Beast like, I have to up my pranks or my stunts. Like... I got to come up with a new miracle every month or I lose relevance. That to me is like stressful. And to be fair, that's like 75% of YouTube success is like daily vlogging stunts and pranks or like gaming. So, you know, if you're not that good for you, Colin and Samir, for example, not in that they're an interview show that's like paced out. Well, they do, you know, like whatever, one or two a week or something like that. It's not as treadmilly as other content things. What I'm learning about through them, what we need to do and what more people should do, that woman, Rebecca, uh, I keep calling her like that woman. Rebecca texted us and she was like... Our uh, friend, Rebecca. (laughs) Our friend, Rebecca. Sorry, Rebecca. Uh, She uh, told us that this guy she worked with, I won't say the name, went from zero to eight. Was it eight million subscribers in eight months or was it like three million in eight? I forget the number, but I think it was eight eight million in how many months? Twelve months? Like a year. A year, yeah. And all from shorts. Is that crazy? All from yeah. fr- freaking YouTube shorts. I never watch YouTube shorts. Yeah, I, I, I do. I actually watch YouTube shorts. But the, the thing is, the, once I've worked inside a tech company, I was like, oh, I get it. Like, I'm YouTube. The biggest threat to my company is TikTok. Every day, like, you know, somebody, there's like every every quarterly offsite, we're hearing about the latest TikTok numbers. Wow, their growth is crazy. Wow, they're blowing us away. Wow, the, the stars are going there. You know, like TikTok is your like kind of like main priority if you're one of these big social media companies right now um, beyond like, you know, your core business. Like if you're going to think about growth, you're going to think about TikTok. And so you release a competitive product, Shorts, and you announce it to the world and you put your best people on it. And like you can't let that feature fail right away. And so you like you got to pump the engagement. How do you do that? You're like, all right, you know, engagement was a 10 out of, you know, 10 out of 100. Okay. Uh, If we put it at the top of every time you open the app, it jumps to a 40. Okay. Now we're also going to add it every three scrolls. We're going to add another little shorts banner. Oh, also we're going to like, you know, make it one of our, we're going to change our recommendation engine to just recommend a short after a long video. And so you're going to try to game the system to give yourself the best shot at that feature becoming successful. And so at least in the short term, if you're a creator, you say, oh, their priority is pushing like, you know, oh, Instagram's priority was pushing stories and then reels Then I'm going to make 
great reels and stories because that's what they're pushing right now. That's what the algorithm wants to, they're going to, they're going to favor that in the UI and the algorithm. And so um, I'm going to get faster growth because I'm sort of like piggybacking off of their priorities. And I think that's actually a really good strategy for like, if you and I or uh, my first million wanted to get popular on YouTube is just like exploit the ego of the social media platform. Like it totally right. works. Just, just give them exactly what they want and not always, but sometimes they'll give you exactly what you want, which is, you know, more followers. But are we going to do it? Maybe. Mm. <laughs> it's clearly a good idea <laughs> that we may or may not execute on. Just By more way, work. Hilarious, hilarious thing that I saw. So uh, there was like some page that's like, uh, you know, like these like meme pages on Instagram that get like a bunch of followers. So it's like, I had like Friday beers. I think this is the one it was. It's like Friday which beers. I love. So I follow so many of them. Yeah, they're great. They're very humorous. They post great memes, whatever. So they did a collab with something called like, it was the word entrepreneur, but it was spelled like super whack. Cause like, you know, the word entrepreneur is like kind of a whack word in general. So it's like entrainee poor. And like, that was like the name of the account or something like that. And I went, I clicked on it and the bio cracked me up so hard. It was like cultivating that trillionaire mindset, that multi-trillionaire mindset. And then the next line was uh, mindset is grind set. Hashtag grind set. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. <laughs> and so I have decided that on this podcast, our new intro is going to be about <laughs> cultivating that multi-trillionaire mindset. Hashtag grind set. And I'm going to start every single podcast by saying that. And somebody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, they're going to be so turned off. But the people who listen to this podcast are going to know that that is the funniest thing ever because it is. That's amazing. What, what were we saying, Jonathan? Um, I, I love that. that you said, you, they, always, you said, always, they always also say... They always also say, uh, read that again. Like they'll do the post and then all the copy. And then it's like, read that again. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, that's the show. Listen to that again. Go back. Yeah. You know what you got to do now? Rewind for the two time, double time, get double, get triple, trillionaire mindset, hashtag grind set. Go back and listen again. What was that phrase? Read Their latest over. post says, <laughs> read that again. <laughs> Their latest post says, you keep your money in the bank. I keep my, my fish in the tank. Think about it. <laughs> yeah, so I think picture of Keanu Reeves. Like, you know, we, we named this My First Million. And the reason we get flack for that and the reason we give ourselves grief for that is because My First Million is in the middle. It's like neither. Um, it's not like trying to be humble and like... Um, you know, thoughtful about life. It's like, no, you want to make a million dollars, but it's only a million. When you say we're, you know, we're all about that trillionaire lifestyle. You, you, all of a sudden you, it's like, Hey, we are not trying to be that guy who's trying to sell you a dream of making a billion dollars. And so I think I realized the mistake in the name, the name should not have been million. Uh, the whole brand should have been, it about should have been my first trillion mindset. It should have been yeah, my first like, trillion. We're, we're a community. We're, we're a community of future multi-trillionaires. Uh, who gather around, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, to trade stories. Our software is the worst. Have you heard of HubSpot? See, most CRMs are a cobbled together mess, but HubSpot is easy to adopt and actually looks gorgeous. I think I love our new CRM. Our software is the best. HubSpot, grow better. Where do you want to go from here? Did you have anything on, did you have, do you have topics? I've got one or two. Do you have any? I have a couple. Um, what do you have? I have a couple. 
I have a couple good ones. Okay, so uh, what do you want to do? You want to do? Okay, I'll, I'll give you three options. A really interesting uh, thing I heard that I I want to get your opinion on, like a like a thing about how a company we a big famous company runs their company that I thought was kind of mind blowing. Number two is an idea that I don't really even understand. As I don't know what the hell they're doing, but maybe it's cool. And then um, the third is uh, you know random business idea. Which which one would you like to go go through? Number one. Number one. Okay, so the interesting. Okay, so. We uh, so the Milk Road, our main sponsor right now is FTX, and I don't know if you like. Do you know what FTX is, dude? In my on my topics, I have a thing about how they run their company and how it's weird. Go ahead, yeah. Okay, so FTX, it's probably the same yeah. thing. Then is it about how many employees they have and how many engineers they yes. have? Yes, look at the doc. I have the exact <laughs> same topic. Go ahead. Okay, so. So it recently, so we we were like, as part of the sponsorship, it's like, okay, we tell people, you know, hey, FTX is a great trading platform, blah, blah, blah. And in addition, we were like, hey, we want to do a deep dive on you guys. And I was like, but here's the thing. You don't get to tell us what to write about. I'm going to like, I'm going to talk to your head of strategy. I'm going to talk to whoever. And um, whatever's the most interesting thing to me, that's what we're going to do the deep dive on. And so I ended up doing it on um, like the, the like kind of like the seven like growth hacky strategies that they use to grow because they went from zero to a 30 billion dollar company in like three years and so i thought that was kind of amazing i wrote the whole thing and then i discovered i discovered something even more amazing which is that they built the whole they they built like for the first year or something they had two engineers and even now to this day they have like i think 25 to 30 uh software engineers it's amazing and i and, and i think they only have 250 people yeah exactly and so he did this um, he went, uh, this, the guy, Sam Baker Fried, he did this talk at the Sone conference. And so Sone, I don't know if people know it's spelled S O H N. It's like this big kind of like economic, uh, annual conference or whatever. And what happens is the big shot, and, and, like, and uh, Sam, ba- Sam Bakeman Fried is the 29 year old, like 20 or $30 billion founder. Well, he was before the crash, but like yeah. DECA billionaire guy. Uh, and he started this Coinbase competitor, which is called FTX. After he got rich in Bitcoin. Yeah, it's a platform for people to trade uh, crypto and now stocks and other things. But basically, he he talks there. And if you've ever watched these, I don't, have you ever watched other Sone conference talks? They're very interesting to go go back and look no. at. Because you get the, it's the, it's like a TED talk for, it's TED, but just for like um, invest investors, uh, just for like finance and Wall Street people. So like Bill Ackman will go on there. And you could look at his old videos. And by the way, if you go watch these, so here's what, here's my journey. I'm like, Bill Ackman, man, this guy's really smart. And our buddy, Andrew Wilkinson loves Bill Ackman, says he's, he's the best. And, um, and I go back and I, I go look for old YouTube videos of Bill Ackman. I see his own conference talk and it's like, I don't know, 10 years ago. And he goes on and he talks about, um, what's the name of the, it's like the Howard Hughes company. There's like, uh, it's like a home builder. Um, tool, like Howard tool bit or something. Yeah, I know you're talking about. No, I think it's I think it's called the Howard Hughes Company. It's basically like whatever that guy, famous guy Howard Hughes or whatever, and yeah. he's got this company. They build homes, and he'll give a talk. And so what you do is you go give a talk about like a thesis that you are really bullish on, basically like a, a big bet you're making or you've already made, basically, and you go pitch your case for for that bet. And this kind of has like twofold effects. One, if you're in the audience, you get ideas on investments, um, like you know why this person's so bullish on this thing. It's a, it's interesting to hear their case. Two, it's only like the who's who that talk. Like it's like the top, top guys um, and, and that go and talk at this thing. And then the third thing is that like you, um, for the speaker, they get to kind of like build their brand, but they also get to pump their bag. So like they've already made this bet. 
Then they go talk here that gets a bunch of attention. A bunch of other people are going to invest in it and it might cause the price to go up, which is like a good thing for them. So they're helping pr- propagate the narrative that helps their, their case. So anyways, you go hear him talk. And you, by the end of the 40 minutes, you're like, there's never been a better investment on earth than the Howard Hughes company, right? Like you're like so convinced because these guys are very convincing and they have a great track record. So you're like, wow, whatever. Now, if you actually go look at the results, it's like, I remember Chamath went and spoke and he talked about how Box, like Box.com is like, like of all the tech companies, I, we have identified one winner that is going to benefit the most from this cloud movement and AI, ML, and it's Box. And you go look at the stock chart for Box since that day. Uh, it's like down into the right. You know what I mean? It's like it, it has not done well, uh, but they, they put together very convincing cases. And of course, occasionally they're, they're, they're correct. So anyways, at this year's Sown, there was a really interesting talk, which was Sam Bankman-Fried talks to, I think, Patrick or John Collison. What the, the, Patrick Collison, the, uh, one of the brothers who started Stripe. Redhead Stripe, or like, you know, whatever. Uh, the redhead one. I think they're, are they not both Patrick. redhead? No, Patrick. He's okay, the yeah, CEO But they both Stripe. actually did interviews. One interviewed Stanley Druckenmiller. Awesome interview. Go watch that. That was the other brother. The other John, one interviewed Sam Bankman-Fried. And it, first of all, the one thing that stood out is kind of like... Um, when you watch these guys do an interview, it's basically like, what if you had like a world-class brain become a podcaster for like, you know, like, like I'm talking world-class. Like these guys are some of the smartest, most well-read, best executors, most like most well-connected people on the planet. Or they're the call. They see everything. Like they did. They were millionaires at like, I don't know, seven. They built cool shit at 17 that like they sold for a million dollars or whatever. They, there's they, now they built like a hundred billion dollar company and, they're like the best of the best. Like they're the best YC founders right. and YC is the best group of founders. Right. So they're amazing. And you hear them give an interview, they hear their talks and how they frame questions. That alone is like worth the price of admission just to see that. But then they ask questions and they're, and so he asked a question to Sam Bankman free. He goes, I read something very interesting that FTX as a, you know, $30 billion company only has um, like 200 employees or something like that. And I believe you, the, you know, for the first year, the product was built by just two engineers. And even now you only have sub 20, sub 30 engineers. A, is that true? And B, what the hell is going on? Like, do you, is FTX, he, he's like, either, he's like, I can only think of one of two things. Either FTX is simply like, you have a unique set of problems. So you can do, you can operate your business differently or the rest of us are doing this completely wrong. Which is it? And, um, and he goes, the latter. Um, <laughs> that's a really good way to frame a question exactly and so he goes uh he goes i, I he laughed he's like i think it's the latter and he goes you know um we he's like i, I more i looked at tech companies i looked at you know, facebook google you know successful tech companies i i think i don't know for sure i can't say like you know i don't know the, their exact business but from what i can gather uh, they ha- they employ an order of magnitude more people than they need to, you know. And he's like, how many? He's like, how many people do you think Facebook would have optimally? Uh, and he's like, you know, he's like, he's like, I don't know. If let's say they have fifty thousand employees, um, you know, that's somewhere between you know like um, five to thirty times too many. <laughs> and like, and so uh, you know, it's kind of shocking to hear this, and it's something. I liked it because I've believed this for a long time, which is that you um, like most tech companies are completely overhired. And I've told this story before, which is that when I interviewed at Twitch for our acquisition, uh, they did the, you know, the part of the interview is they get at the end of the interview, they, you know, Hey, do you have any questions for us? And this was my first, my one, I said, how many employees does Twitch have? They said, uh, 1800, 2000. How many do you think is the right number for Twitch? 
like, what do you think is, is how many people do you, I guess, actually need to be like firing on all cylinders? And like, I would get basically three reactions. The first was sort of like, just like shock. Like, what are you even saying? And are you insinuating that like, I shouldn't be here or like, we shouldn't hire you or that we hired too many people. We don't know what we're doing. Like, if, you know, the people were just like, what? The, I don't get what you're getting at, but it's not good. Whatever you're getting at is not, no matter what interpretation I have of this question, it's like pretty bad. Um, the second was a genuine answer, which was like, you know, uh, probably like, you know, 15 to 20% less, but we, you know, you don't know, you don't know over time who those top performers are. You figure that out. And like, you know, it's good to have buffer and redundancy or whatever. And then uh, I asked Emmett, the CEO, and he was like, I think 2,500. And it's like, you know, because his plan is like to hire and grow. And he's like, you know, he, he, and like, we didn't get into a big debate about it. I was just curious what he would say. And so what was your reaction to this thing where you found out that FTX has like, you know, 20 engineers and is running this like yeah. pretty large tech platform and everybody else has thousands of engineers. I think people overhire. And so I wrote, um, a tweet that said, uh, you know, I'm really fascinated with the idea of just hiring less people who are higher quality and paying them a lot more versus hiring a ton of people. And most of them by definition are pretty average and you pay them a medium or market rate. I like that idea of doing the first thing, but is that actually practical? And what are some examples? And the reason why I wasn't sure if it was actually practical is like, even if you get the highest performing people, in a room, does it just become natural still? Whereas like the 80, 20, where 20% of the people d does 80% of the work and it just always, and I think actually maybe that would actually would still exist, but at like a higher caliber. And then also I was like, I actually understand why you want redundancies. I understand why if you rely on five people and three of them quit, like you're really screwed. But let me give you the, and someone tweeted out, uh, and I found two good examples. One example was Sam Bankman fried with FTX. And here's what he said. Here's the tweet. He actually tweeted this out, I guess, after that talk, kind of summarizing his, his thoughts. He goes, I've looked into hyper growth companies and time and time again, growing from 200 employees to 2000 doesn't seem to 10 extra productive per your productivity as a company. In fact, sometimes it doesn't even one extra productivity. Sometimes the more you hire, the less you get done. So why exactly uh, is it that hiring doesn't scale the way it should? A, coordination becomes really hard. And B, diffusion of responsibility. If five people could theoretically do something, maybe no one will actually feel like they have to get it done and have to do it. And then uh, he just goes on to say that basically companies hire more, uh, or sorry, companies lower the bar as they hire more. And over time, the average coworker, people in actor, becomes a worse experience and incentives become harder to align as people have less and less of a sense of what each person is doing. And I completely agree. I think that the... I don't, I'm not smart like these guys where I can actually come up with a number, but I think a large percentage of jobs, at least in the tech world, and I would say most companies are bullshit jobs. I'd call them bullshit jobs. And they're only there because the person who's running this particular division has to request more budget and hire more so they get more responsibility and more credit and they seem more important. So then when they go to their next company, they get paid more and they can climb the ladder because it seems like, oh, well, like, you know, you manage 200 people. You must be legit. Yeah. That's why I, I think it happens. The number of people under you is a is a power consolidation technique inside of, of large companies. And even if people aren't doing it for malicious reasons, it it is the incentive. Like you get it's paid just the game. more, a larger of a group of people that you can manage. And so your incentive is to hire people, promote them to managers, have them hire people, have them promote them to managers and have like layers and layers of people, 
because if you were if you were if everybody got the same budget and then you were just measured on how much you got done and you got to keep the extra, I think companies would work wildly differently than they do today, right? And he says something, he goes in that tweet, he goes, Sam says, he goes, as far as I can tell, this is the most common reason that successful companies decay. It's a race between how quickly new employees can understand the culture and how quickly people are hired. The faster you hire, the harder it is to keep everyone on the same page. And, um, you know, if you're growing at 50% a year, maybe you can still mentor each new recruit and get them, you know, to learn how you guys work. But if you're growing 300% a year, each employee only has four months to learn before they have to start teaching. And um, meanwhile, we, ha- you know, you have to also figure out how to make sure compensation is fair. Coordination keeps happening. Like I remember this inside of uh, even a startup, even a very small company. Um, when you go from one people to two people, generally productivity increases like almost every time. Um, one person to two people is, is almost a, always a win. Two people to three people, usually a win, but there's usually a cost, which is, oh, now we have to have meetings. Whereas before, like one person, the whole project's in your head. You don't have to talk to anybody. Two people, like by default, you're going to basically share everything with the other. Everybody, because there's only one other person, knows everything that's shared. Once you have three people, no longer does everybody know everything that's going on. And basically, I think there's this rule, which is that for every um, for every double of your employee base, you square the amount of communication required. Meaning, so if you go from four to eight, you don't that doesn't double the communication. It four x is the communication or whatever, right? Like, uh, I don't do my public math there, but it's basically like a nonlinear, like it's a non nonlinear investment you have to make in communication and coordination. And like suddenly, it's like, oh man, we have a twelve person team, and like it's really hard to keep everybody on the same page. And now I'm having to do extra meetings that are all hands meetings or things like that, just to keep 12 people organized. Now imagine that at 1200 and imagine that at 12,000. It's miserable. Right? It's, like it's miserable. It's miserable. So the other example, by the way, that someone, I don't know if anyone replied or how I found this, but have you heard of the company called StreamYard? StreamYard? No. They're in your world. So go to stream. I think it's streamyard.com. So they're in like the streaming world. Are they like Canadians? Um, Maybe. So easy way. It's it's the easiest way, they say, to procreate a professional live stream. So, okay. It gives you like a, it's like a broadcasting tool for live streaming. Okay, cool. So this guy, it was two guys. One guy named Gage. And I I don't remember the other guy. Amazing name. Gage is the first name. Yeah. Gage and Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Gage like rode a dirt bike to school when he was a kid. And uh, Gage this guy, and power. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this guy's amazing. So he um, so he started this company with Dan and they were basically, I think, just making it away for like, I think it was like Twitch folks you know, or just like streamers to stream. But then eventually they kind of pivoted a little bit so it could be like a professional stream. So like, I don't know who actually would do a quote professional stream, I guess like a company. But like it had all these like de- it had all these like overlays so you like. Yeah. Yeah, so you just make it look cool and really easy. Well, anyway, they launched this in 19 or I think even 20. And it was just them two. And they got it to 3 million in ARR. Just these two guys. Then the pandemic hits. And in one year, they go from 3 million to 30 million annually recurring revenue. Wow. Zero outside money. Wow. Just these two guys. And when they, they eventually sold at the... Um, so they launched, I think, in 19. The pandemic hit when? In 20 or 21. Uh, but basically, in like one year, they went from three million to thirty million, and then they sold that same year to Hopin for two hundred fifty million dollars in cash. <laughs> and these two guys own the whole thing. 
And when they sold, they basically scaled the company uh, to 20 million in ARR with five people. And then by the time they sold, they had 30 million and they had just hired the seventh person. And this whole wow. business was built with just seven people. Really, it was built with two or three people. And then the second half, they were like, our customer service was just getting out of control. And so we had to have someone manage like an agency who was doing our customer service. Uh, and, and they were like, it was just like, uh, of course they did. They, they kind of were already killing it, but they hit a lick with like COVID that like was unexpected. So that accelerated it. But they were doing three million with two guys like a year and a half into the business. That's which is amazing for software. Um, but it's yeah, a pretty ridiculous it's a pretty ridiculous company. You should uh, Google like what the founders look like. I think they're like, they look like they're like 28, like they're like kids. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I met these guys at a conference, by the way. Uh, now that, now that I'm seeing their faces. Um, yeah. Gage and Dan, but we're going to call Dan dirt. So this Gage and dirt, we're the co-founders of StreamYard. <laughs> um, yeah. I love it. This is, I mean, that's, that's an amazing story of like, you know, right place, right time, uh, you know, and being ready to like surf a wave. Can I tell you like another random business like this that's like yeah. just deceptively big? So my buddy Corey um, tweeted this out. He was like, he's like, is next that time the, you're... Uh, the high school guy? No, no. This Corey is Levy? Corey. This is Corey Nicholson. Uh, his thing is Corey N CEO is his, his Twitter account. So uh, Corey's a good dude. He's a really young guy. He's like doing an e-commerce thing right now. I really like him. I'm not, like, he's the one if we were going to do southern sam sticky icky this is the guy to run it and he's down to run it he, we're just waiting on you if you want to run it but like he's a d2c guy who he's really what he's really good at is he's good at building a d2c product and using tiktok to market it and um like that's like his current like niche and um so, so anyways he goes he goes next time you're stressing over a business idea just remember there's a website that just simply removes the TikTok watermark from a video and receives 37 million monthly visits and has ads everywhere. <laughs> and so it's called uh, it's called SSSTIK. I don't know if you've ever seen this website. SSSTIK. So three S's and then tick. Wow. I'm looking at the traffic now. Almost, almost 40 million monthly visitors for the last six months straight. And it's just and what plastered with ads. <laughs> like, I don't know. How, I just like, you know, when you... If you create TikTok is a great way to create videos, but it always keeps the TikTok watermark in there. And so I guess this is a way to remove the watermark. Because I'm pretty sure if you post a watermarked video from TikTok on a Twitter, I always feel like they like have a way to like downvote it. You know what I mean? So it doesn't get shown to people. Yeah, is that I, legitimate? I, I I don't know if it I don't know if it's that. I I I really don't give Twitter that much credit. Like yeah, I don't think they can build a feature that smart, but um, but I know for Facebook, I think Facebook, if you upload a, a watermarked video as an ad, because those TikTok videos do great as ads, um, they won't let you run it because it's got a TikTok thing. And you're basically promoting their competitor, right? So you have to like get the raw video. Dude, this is crazy. I'm looking at the traffic now. And so it gets like 40 million a month. It looks like around that. And they're from every country. So United States only makes up uh, 8% of the traffic. And then there's like Colombia, Philippines, Mexico, Peru. Peru's the biggest source, which is makes up ten percent. Right. This is crazy. What a crazy business. Do you think this makes money? Surely it makes some, but do you think this is big? Yeah, I think it is. By the way, okay, so I tried to get in touch with this. So I don't have the full story on this, but um go to you're gonna love this. This is like I might be telling you about something like you already know. You're gonna be like, my cousin started this. Go to eggcartons.com. All right. Why would my... I don't have... A cousin would start eggcartons.com. What is this? Egg cartons. 
I don't know. This, this is just a Sampar special right here. It's just like, did you know there's a business called Egg Cartons? Dude, so many people think that I'm like, <laughs> I thought you were saying I'm from the Midwest. So many people think they're like, oh, like, hey, I want to go hunting. Can you like teach me how to hunt? Like they think that I'm like from like a rural Southern area. I'm not. I, I don't know anything about that. Like I, I, I'm like, when you think of, they, they hear I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and they think it's the country. I'm like, think of Detroit. That's kind of like where I was raised. Like that's it's more like Detroit than it is. Are you uh, more you know, likely the rural area? Are you more likely to go bow hunting or get a pedicure, dude? Well, neither. People from Missouri don't get pedicures. At least men don't. But bow hunting, like <laughs> I only know about bow hunting from like the TV show Napoleon Dynamite, where they talk about like a bow staff. Like I don't even know. Like I don't know what bow. I've never killed an animal before. <laughs> no, I've never done any of this. And you don't have the you don't have the urge to. I definitely do. It would be fun to look something in the eye and then consume it. I think that would be exciting. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to eggcards.com. All right. So basically it's just a website that sells like the actual packaging you need for eggs. So every form factor of eggs. You got the 12 one, you got the 24 pack, you got the plastic one, you got the foam one, you got the good for the environment one. And I thought this was really interesting because this is a, this is a multi-million dollar business that just is like wholesale selling packaging for eggs. And they just like if you go to the website, it's like eggcartons.com, call 1-888-852-5340. Right. And it's like, you know, when that's in your logo that this business prints cash because it's like, oh, yeah, we got like just this like, you know, every grocery store in America, every corner store in America, they just eggcartons.com and they, they got my number, you know, in their phone book. And um, it's like the biggest tell. And so what was interesting about this is I was like, who owns this thing? And then if you look up uh, eggcards.com owner, you're going to see um, this woman named Sarah Moore. And Sarah Moore, if you go look at her thing, it says her, her LinkedIn says Sarah Moore, egg carton and packaging fanatic. And she's been doing this for four years. And before that, she went to Harvard Business School. And so I was like, who is this? And basically this is somebody who's like an M is a MBA private equity type that identified this business that's been around for 20 years. And, um, basically, you know, like went and, you know, either bought it, took it over, um, or, or, you know, did something. I don't think it's like her dad is the owner. Cause there's this other guy, Paul B something who, you know, was the owner of it for 19 years. Now he says he's semi-retired, but I think she bought it. And, um, I was like, wow, this is a, this is a like fascinating like path to pick uh, for somebody who's just like smart and is like, you know what? I'm going to go fish where nobody else is fishing instead of going to try to build the next social app or the next crypto thing or the next podcast. It's like, let me go identify one of these businesses. That's like a wholesaler of packaging by the company and then just like, you know, modernize it and grow it. So is this Sarah Moore from uh, Massachusetts? Oh, yeah. wow. Are you and sure so this like, woman owns? So this woman does not look at all like you're going to think of a ALA carton salesperson. This is the owner? Are you, no, are you like sure? if you look, if you looked at her Boston? picture, what, what? Look at her picture. What's your guess? What does this woman do? Like enterprise sales at Salesforce. Exactly. Like, I was going to say the exact same thing. She sells high end enterprise software or she runs an ad agency. Or, you know, like whatever, I don't know, she's a, like, uh, you know, 
professor and part-time model or something like that, right? It's like she's crazy. Yeah, she's it's like a really good-looking Harvard person, and I would not expect her to do any of this in Sutton, Massachusetts. Like this is crazy. If you look at the guy who's the previous owner, you go to his uh, LinkedIn. It's like a dude on the, like he's got his neck sideways because he's on the phone. He's like, at his computer, he's like looking up. Someone took this photo of him, and that's the best photo he has of himself. His desk has like, you know, <laughs> 1970s World Series, like, you know, ball from the game he was at. Yeah, and, and he's so, got like a marble red in his mouth. That's exactly how I would imagine this. This is crazy. How'd you find this? So, because I just saw the tweet about the about the egg carton thing. I went down the rabbit hole. I found a PDF. And it says uh, she purchased it in 2017 after her after getting her MBA from Harvard. And, um, you know, now she has a, a private equity. She, she did that. She did that, by the way, in her 20s. Uh, so she's got a pr- private equity company that basically does eggcartons.com, fall harvest products. And those both pr- those b- both serve the egg producing company. Uh, uh, sorry, industry and um, and King Supply, which provides plumbing materials to campgrounds and parks. And I was like, what the hell? Like, who is this person? What are they doing? And so, uh, by the way, I might have some of these details wrong because I tried to get in touch with her. I emailed her and I just subject line like, holy shit, you know, first line egg cartons, you know, like who would have thought this is amazing. And I sent her I was like, look, um, you know, I want to know more about you, but I don't want to schedule time. And I, I, for you or for me, like, here's a Google Doc. Like, would you mind just answering these questions? <laughs> and so I'm waiting on her to answer these questions now because I have I must know more. I must know where so, was this her family business? Like, how did she get into this? So this like model looking Harvard grad owns an a cart business. She owns a plumbing supplies business. Is that right? And yeah. I don't know what a fall harvest. What, what is fall harvest products? What, what do you That's make all, when you saw that? I think it's also it's also for the egg industry. What? This is awesome. This is a really good find. I love Sarah Moore. Sarah Moore. I love women <laughs> named Sarah. My wife's name is Sarah. I love Sarah Moore. She's great. It's not where I thought you were going with that one. I love women named Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this woman's awesome. I'm a big fun fact for you at a Nick Ray party. <laughs> yeah, my wife's name's Sarah, and there's this woman I admire who, like, went to Harvard and owns an egg card business, who's also named Sarah. She's I'm fond of her as founder well. Founder of a. Uh, Founder of, of Spanx Pants. Love when pants make you look thinner. Sarah Blakely. Yeah. <laughs> Another great Sarah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this. This is a good find. Why did the person tweet about it? Uh, I don't even know. It was like, uh, what did they say? They go, I think, th- so the, the thread was like a kind of a golden thread where it was like, boring businesses are the best businesses. And um, and then somebody, uh, Patrick, B. J- Patrick B. Johnson said, I got one that's even better. Eggcurrents.com. This is a multi-million dollar business. And that was the only reply to the thread, by the way. <laughs> this wasn't like a popular thread. So one guy tweeted that first tweet. This guy Did you DM that cartons. guy? He knows something. It's like a heat-seeking missile. Yeah, he knows something. No, I didn't reach out to this guy. Uh, he's got like a picture that makes him look a little crazy. Um, and so I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not like he's uh, in like at, assault you. It's it, on Twitter. Like, okay, let me read you his bio. This is why I was like, uh, I want to have a conversation right now. Beats up Maybe. Indian guys. You know, he goes, Teen Vogue, his, his, this is Bile. Teen, Teen Vogue called me a visionary. Elite Daily called me a genius. Link in bio. Then he goes, at Ramit blocked me is my biggest accomplishment. I'm the founder mm. of Progress Labs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wouldn't want to talk to that guy either. Um, either. Either he's awesome 
or he's completely not awesome, and I just didn't have the energy to go find out. This is a badass find. I'm all about. Is it a cartons? A cartons.com. I'm all about this. Because if anyone can that get my birthday gift to you, if anyone <laughs> can find Sarah Moore, so please find Sarah Moore and uh, and tell her to tell her to uh, join the pod. There's this one woman. I I don't know if I told you this. Did you see the tweet where I saw this lady at uh, Whole Foods and I thought it was cool and I just tweeted out a picture? No. Wait. What happened? So there was this lady giving out samples at Whole Foods. And okay. the sample was called, uh, I, don't, I actually don't know what it was, Jesha, J-E-S-H-A. And uh, she, it's like a sourdough, do you know anything about sourdough bread? Like, uh, I don't know, like entirely behind not, it, but like, it doesn't, to be honest with you. <laughs> it like something involving, like it doesn't have yeast or something like, something where like it, you, you actually digest it a little bit easier and it doesn't make you as bloated, at least when I eat it, because it doesn't have like yeast, it like is missing, it's a, there's one ingredient that's missing that just makes it feel sometimes feel better on your stomach. So she made sourdough like mix that you can use for like pancakes and like muffins and shit like that. And I was just talking and I just like went to the Whole Foods and I saw her. I was like, oh, well, let me try some of this. And I was like, this is great. Is this your business? She's like, yeah, I just started it like six months ago. And I just cold emailed someone uh, at Whole Foods asking if we could sell in the store. And they said, yeah. And now they're stocking it on all the shelves. I was like, oh, wow, that's a pretty good story. Uh, you know, what's your background? She's like, oh, I just worked at a fintech startup for a, a bunch of years and I just always wanted to do this and I just saved up a little bit of money and I quit and I just launched it and I cold emailed them and I just kind of figured it out. And I just tweeted that one tweet. It was, it was a picture of her and it was like, you know, worked in fintech, quit, uh, started this in six months, got into Whole Foods, just cold emailed someone. And uh, it got read by like 2 million people, that tweet. And she like met, and I have no idea who she was. I didn't even like know her handle. And she like somehow found, I, I, at the end of the tweet, I was like, if you know who she is, send this to her. And, you know, she'll like know where all the sales came from. Apparently, she like knocked it out the park with sales um, all from just this one little tweet. And then I did the same thing with a pool company, Trek Pools, and they sold a shit ton of pools I, like ju- from from this mention. It's kind of funny. Just uh, these silly little tweets actually move the needle for people. So you're saying if you're out there and you'd like your needle moved. Your boys are available for hire and bribes. Actually, not even for hire, just bribes. <laughs> yeah, just money. <laughs> Send us if you free, need your awesome stuff or cash in some kind of briefcase, and we will move the needle for you. <laughs> needle movers. Yeah. One eight hundred five five hundred. Move my needle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the episode. I think. Hey, we're just a couple of needle movers cultivating that multi-trillionaire mindset. Hashtag grindset. <laughs>